Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. Today is very special. It is season one, episode 10, and we are going to be speaking with Saskia Jennings, who is the founder and CEO of Creating Being Well, and she's out of Canada. And as a certified caregiving consultant and educator, Saskia works with busy professionals whose life, health, and career are affected by the ongoing challenges of caring for their parents or an elderly relative. She is an expert in providing coping strategies, tools, and resources that help find relief from personal resentment guilt, and stress that may lead to burnout during your caregiving journey. And with more than 12 years of gained experience in the caregiver service industry, working with elderly and their adult children, plus hundreds of hours of research, Saskia is skilled in offering unique and effective solutions necessary to support yourself so that you can support your parents the best way you can. These methods instantly bring a sense of peace and fulfillment and improve well-being and a life balance. And I have been truly excited to talk with you today, Saskia, so welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. Wow, what an intro. (laughs) I know, you're very accomplished. My goodness. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm very passionate and um, thank you for connecting with me and kind of like on a different topic, but also important. Yeah, very much so. So where tell people where you, exactly you are in Canada, because I think this is the most exciting part. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I've been traveled a little bit through Canada. Um, I started off 13 half years ago in the woods, uh, three hours north of Toronto, then I moved to Toronto about five and a half, six years ago. And that was not a great choice. I really am not a city girl. So my friend in uh, on, on Vancouver Island in British Columbia said, don't go back up north, girl. Just come here for a while and figure it out. So I packed up my car not too long ago, and I've been on the island now for a few weeks, and it's whew, a breath of fresh air, I'll tell you. Yeah, and I have a view on the ocean, at the ocean right now. I love it. So I always like to tell people how I'm connected to the guests that are on the show. And you turned up as a person I should connect with on LinkedIn. And when I read your bio, I was like, I just know I have to talk to her. You work in, you know, this long-term care space. And as a woman, this is something that I'm intimately aware of and have uh, firsthand experiences. So our chat today is going to be something that's really meaningful to all the listeners. So I'm really curious, how did you get involved in professional caregiving? Because I'm almost 50 years old, and I had never heard of this as a career option when I was in school. Um, But I have a daughter-in-law, Katie, who I got to be honest, I think she would be perfect for this type of work. She just has a really big heart, and she's always looking out for other people. So, you know, what made you think this is a good business option for me to consider? Actually, I didn't think. So when I moved to Canada, I knew I wanted to be working with people and helping people heal something medical. When I was in Holland, um, I became a Reiki master, craniosacral therapy practitioner, reflexologist. And when I was in Canada and I was waiting to become a permanent resident, I saw an ad to become a personal support worker. And I thought, oh, so what is this? I don't know what that is in Holland. So I looked it up and I thought, okay, so that fits within my visa. I'm going to study this. And I took... um, the training it's six months very intense and there is a uh, you have to go into the facility as well to do some uh, some work so then ultimately i worked with i looked after the elderly and their families i must say i've always been a bit different from the regular caregivers um for 12 years and i've seen many families struggling i've had an amazing time with a lot of elderly made it a lot of fun and always keeping in mind their dignity, their safety, their independence. Um, So then years ago through my own life journey, I worked with a coach and I found out I have to be a coach. So I became a coach for women in midlife. And then I think about three years ago, I, I don't know, it's like LinkedIn sent 
you to me, but this was something that came from the universe to me, was that I read a blog about self-care for caregivers. And I read this blog and thought, yeah, those are really great tips. I'm personally more a way deeper, yeah, I like to dive deeper into people. Mm-hmm. It's not the regular thing like a movie or a walk, etc. but it was great tips. And three people, the first three comments were really like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try that. Oh, yeah, maybe I can work that in. Oh, yeah, I think it's time for that. And after that, there was like 150 or 200 comments, and it was all whining and whining and almost aggressive. And I thought like, it doesn't have to be that way. So I had a huge light bulb going off, and I thought, okay, I'm going to change my business because with 12 years of caregiver service industry under my belt, I can help people on all these levels. I can coach them. I can help them with the practical skills, the communication with your parents, with other caregivers that may be supportive. So that's what I did. And um, here I am. So in May, I finished uh, my training to become a certified caregiving consultant. And for me, that was the icing on the cake. Um, to really hone the skills and I just love working with family caregivers because I understand you. (laughs) So I'm going to be sharing something really personal and people who are close to me know this, but some of the, a lot of the listeners who are going to be listening don't. Um, In May of 2017, I shared a story on LinkedIn about my journey into hospice with my ex-husband's mother. Um, it was a really difficult story to have to tell, but and I actually wasn't going to write it at first, and then I'm glad that I did. Um, when I got married in 1993, I was 22 years old, and I never envisioned in my wildest dreams that I would be a caregiver so soon into that marriage. I ended up taking care of my mother-in-law for more than 15 of the 25 years that I was married. That's nothing people sign up for when they get married, you know what I mean? They... You, you look at the spouse and you expect to have children. And I was, I had children. I had three of them. And yet I had this um, fairly elderly, very uh, almost um, her faculties were good, but her body was failing her. So her mobility was very low and ambulating was difficult. Many of her needs fell on me to handle. And that was making sure that she, at first it was, she could get around, right? So she had started off with a walker, which ultimately led to a wheelchair, which ultimately led to me, right? Um, Getting to doctor's appointments. I had to take time off of work, drive her to doctor's appointments. I had to get her to the bathroom because sometimes she was having difficulty making it from the bedroom to the restroom. And so there were a lot of accidents, Um, changing her underpants. It's not something you expect to have to do to your mother-in-law you know, to have to get that personal with her. And this was a woman who, by the way, you know, she had two master's degree in music and education. And yet ultimately after it was decided to put her into the nursing home, because I just simply couldn't keep up with the care. It just came outside of what I, my physical demands of who I was as a person. I was trying to work a full-time job. I was trying to be a good mom to three very busy kids. Um, that were, you know, 10 years apart in age. I also in this time took on a foster child who ultimately, you know, stayed with us there during this whole time, you know, being a, a wife, you know, trying to be friends and have like a, a social life. And it just became increasingly more difficult and it put an enormous amount of stress on the marriage because, you know, my ex-husband kept thinking it was my responsibility to take care of her because I was a woman you know, we're caregivers. That's what we do. We're nurturers. We're, we take care of people. And ultimately, you know, when we had to put her in the nursing home, I could afford that for only so long. And then ultimately what I had to do was put her in a shared room so that we could keep the affordability at a level that was manageable because it's very expensive to put people in facilities. I don't know if people, if you've, you know, when I ask people, raise your hand, do you know somebody in a nursing home and they raise their hand? I really don't know if they understand for the ones who don't have the financial um, check that they have to write out. It's into the thousands of dollars, you know, per month. This isn't a $600, you know, apartment someplace. This is three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a month, which meant that I couldn't buy a house. You know, this is something that we had to to do. So there was just a lot of this. And then ultimately what happened was when hospice came, 
um, I was left to make decisions because there were no healthcare directives in place. And, and when she ultimately died on May 5th of 2017, she literally died 10 feet from another resident. And I think this is the part that probably gets me the most and I'm getting teary-eyed because I can feel it coming. We had 24 hours after she passed away to get her stuff out so that the next person could get into the room. So you don't even have time to grieve or understand because literally she was the week before okay talking to us and in a matter of seven days stopped eating, stopped toileting, stopped everything and she just passed away. And people kept asking me questions, asking like, should we give her more morphine? I don't know. Should we, you know, let's brighten her room. I don't know. She really liked it a little bit darker. So it was all so undignified. And I was actually embarrassed to tell others that because I worked in financial services. And yet when I ultimately told the story, I was amazed at how many people stepped up and said, I've been there too, Cheryl. I know people who've been there too. And that really helped me out. So, you know, with that, I think we all need a Saskia Jennings in our life. As I mentioned to you before, I've said this to you, but that end of life planning, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I got to be honest, it's still to me, it is the only time in my life I've ever really felt like I failed another human being. Thank you for sharing, Cheryl. And I'll tell you one thing, you did not fail. Not one moment. You did what you knew, what was best in those situations. And you acted from the heart. Um, I can say a lot of things. Um, I want to just for a moment come back to you helped her go to the bathroom. One of the biggest, number one stressor in the United States um, research report that was done, and I don't know what year it came out, a few years ago, is actually incontinence. Yeah. And it seems such a simple thing, but it's not. It's a huge stressor. Um, you're asking me about end of life. It actually starts way before, right? Um, so what I teach is the six stages of caregiving, the six stages going in the meaning, into a meaningful journey from, oh, yes, my parents are fine. I'm not a caregiver yet. Well, you think they're fine because they say so, um, to the stage where you came into. Uh, so really the... Um, with the work that I do is that I support, I support you um, with the emotions. I cannot be the doctor and help you with a decision about more morphine, right? But it can help you to guide you into what would be the decision for you or no decision at all that you have to take at that moment. Because communication with the healthcare professionals in an early stage and understanding your role and knowing that you can put your foot down is so important. So when you, and it, you, I mean like, I could feel the tears too because it touches my heart every time when I speak to men and women that are so challenged with this. Um, I lost my track. Oh no, I wanted to say that um, your mother-in-law died like, a few feet away from somebody else. Um, I love to work with caregivers and say, when the time comes near like that, what is important for you to be with that person? How do you want to be with that person? How, if you want to enhance a little bit of the life or make that person happy, even though the person may not be fully conscious, then what would be something that you can do? So that time for and we call the person you care for, we call it a caree. I don't think it's officially in a dictionary, but we'll get it in there. Mm -hmm. um, so being with your caree and making, making that a really quality time is important. So if you felt pretty much embarrassed about that other person being involved or so close to the death of your mother-in-law, um, I believe, and I would, suggest to from way earlier on make sure that you put into place like okay when the time comes near this is where my mom or my mother-in-law or my dad or my uh, loved relative is going to be 
and we want her or him or her in that or that that room how can we make things happen how can we make that the best possible experience so it's a continuous breathing through keeping your mind clear and taking that next step without keeping doing so much at the end the end stage is just really when a transitioning is happening it's not anymore about the doing but still you're involved in these sessions so it is challenging and you've done a phenomenal job thank you for sharing i appreciate that you know and it's one of those things where you know people are just living longer and you know the medical information uh, interventions really it's just prolonged the life for so many of us right because and i actually think sometimes it's maybe even too far um that we stay alive a little too long. But I think there's good and bad that comes with longevity. And longevity planning today means that dignified care must be considered as mandatory measures, not optional measures when financial service professionals are working with families on the retirement analysis. You know, I, I, I see investment professionals and financial planners, um, insurance, you know, individuals. And a lot of times I feel like that that part of it, that having the talk with them that we talk about and that discussion of what does end of life planning look like for you? Have you had those discussions? Do you have longevity planning desires? And a lot of people, that's like such a taboo topic. Like, oh, I feel great today. I'm not going to talk about that or I'm not going to, you know, that's where how important is like a long-term care plan or long-term care insurance or long-term care planning? Um, you know, what, is, what does that work into the work that you do with people? How does that help them be better caregivers, I guess? I For do me, not, it would have been the financial component of it. I'm very yes. frank about that. Yeah, yeah. And people don't like to um, say that, <laughs> but it's true. No. Yes, it, it, and that's very important. So I think for fa for... Um, people who work in the financial world, all the people that you just uh, mentioned, including insurance, for them to understand the six stages of the caregiving years, when they have more knowledge about that, so make note to self, educate them on that, but <laughs> there's only like a handful of people of us available, so we cannot educate everybody. But just by starting with that, um, the... People like you can help the family caregivers better. So when they do um, their future planning, their life planning, their cash flow planning, their wealth management, you if you understand the family dynamics better, including the parents, the elderly parents, um, which and even maybe grandparents when they start it becomes a whole different ballgame because I think then the industry will realize things better and they can also understand the emotional part better and listen better to what the issues can be ultimately. Um, so with you with 15 years and getting your bank accounts drained because yes, it costs a ton of money. Um, I personally do not know what all the insurances are and I've seen in Canada that things have changed because it maybe we gotten a little bit more too expensive but when i did this breakout session in the national caregiving conference last week um where beth suareth actually talked to financial planners about that the advanced end of life planning um then they understand better how they can serve their um clients better yeah. And I just actually was on a webinar earlier today listening to Kathy Sikorsky. She's, uh, uh, she does long-term care planning here in the United States and she's very knowledgeable on this topic. And I was listening to her talk about this retirement, you know, this component, this piece. And, you know, she works a lot with women as well, which is, she can see why we're kindred spirits in that space. Yeah. But this is a, a thing with women that if we don't have these conversations, you will be the caregiver. I am living proof of what happens, and I will tell you what. Um, I read a book. I've shared this with you before that I read this book by Ai Jin Poo, and if anybody listening to this knows her, I would love to meet her because I am like I have like this girl crush on Ai Jin Poo. But she, um, a few years ago, I was recommended to read this book. I did, and then I have now recommended her book to probably hundreds of people at this point. I think I'm actually going to reread it again in light of our conversation today because this has been a, um, it just brought up a journey. lot. Of, 
Yeah. And it brought up a lot of reminders of why I'm doing what I'm doing, why you're doing what you're doing. But the book is called The Age of Dignity. And for those who do not know, Ijin Poo is the director of the National Domestic uh, Workers Alliance, and she's co-director of the Caring Across Generations campaign. And this book, uh, The Age of Dignity, is where she talks about her own family and the caregiver that they had. And all of it's very kind in the way that she wrote it, but she's very firm about the numbers. She knows her numbers. Like she knows her stats. She knows what the issues are. And for example, more than 14% of our population is now over 65. And by 2030, that ratio is going to be one in five. And then the fastest growing demographic is the 85 plus group. I mean, that's insane. That's over 5 million people now, a number that's expected to more than double in the next 20 years. So this change presents us with a new challenge. How are we going to care for and support quality of life in this unprecedented number of Americans that are going to ultimately be aging because we do live forever. And that's really where you come in, Saskia, right? I mean, let's be honest. This is really where you come in and shine. Yeah, thank you. And um, the numbers are even different in Canada, even though you have way more people in your country. But you said uh, one in five by 2030. You know the numbers in Canada? What? One in three people by 2020. That's that's just It's insane. Yes, it's insane. So it is, and it's interesting. I haven't read the book, but I'm definitely going to read it because the age of dignity. So one of my big passions is exactly that dignity of yourself, of your family, and that of your parents, if you care for them. It is so important to understand. So can I elaborate a little bit on that? Please. Perfect. Please. Thank you. So with the dignity... I must tell you, I get tears in my eyes when I think of the 12 years of caregiving. When I lived more rural, dignity was like with this big heart. Everybody is treated with dignity. The caregivers work can work there at a lower pace, have more time, can be more involved and more engaged with the people that carries that they care for. Um, and I talk about uh, the professional caregivers. Um, then that also makes for that the family caregivers are happier because their mom or dad is actually happy. Now, when I moved to Toronto, uh, honestly, um, and I know it is going public, but for me, it was a, it's a shocker to see how caregiving can be challenging in the big city when you have, mm-hmm. when you lean on hired caregivers. And, that, and are, I, Jen Poo discusses that in her book. Just yeah, there's thousands and thousands out there. Yep. But it stops with the education. So you train, you get a certificate. And I heard now these days you can train in three months. Excuse me. That's really not a lot. I had to do a lot of hours. And um, you can do it online, which I personally am totally not a fan of. I actually applied once for a school and said, you do this online. I would really like to be involved in this. Mm, because it's about the personal experience, right? Agree. And, um, so... I often, you know, I actually correlate it to, to child care. Would you go hire someone? I mean, I just, does that even, yeah. you see what I'm saying there? I mean. Yeah, um, um, that's totally true. So when you are hiring someone, in Canada, we have government regulated, allotted an hour, then they run out after 15 minutes. And it's like they're done. And I still can, like, I still can get very mad when I reconnect with my 100-year-old friend um, who didn't smile anymore after I decided to stop all the caregiving and still visit him every year with when he celebrates another birthday. <laughs> and every time I hear, like, oh, my gosh, can you not come back? Because, um, like, people run out and they're, they're tired of communicating with the service providers because nobody answers the phone. They don't get a call back. Um, and personal support workers don't always know how to report. So there is really a lack while the pressure is rising. And then those caregivers are often in an age category that they either have young children or they have family. And if they are from a different culture, often 
um, their, fa their family member, their mom or dad lives with them. So then you get this um, double duty caregiving and it's not good for everybody who receives the care. That was me. And I was, do you know, it was, <laughs> I have to give a big, huge shout out to Pacific Life Insurance because I worked there during the time that I was going through a, a big chunk of that home care part of it, right? When I lived in California. And the gentleman that ran our office was so understanding that I was being pulled in directions, but he also knew that my favorite part of my day was when I came into work because I didn't have to go and change dirty pants. I didn't have to go and give somebody a bath because when I went home, it wasn't just my three kids that I was doing that for. It was also my mother-in-law. Yeah. And so I would I, look forward to work. Yes. And I totally get that. So with that I felt company, terrible. That was, that was my dirty little secret that I'd come to work so excited to work because it wasn't my home. Yeah. There's a few things with um, work. And I took actually part on two focus groups at the caregiving conference that are doing research on being an employee and being a caregiver. So we had a lot of conversations and um, paperwork to fill out for that, but um, everybody's working on that. So there are situations, I am so glad to hear that you had a good experience with it and uh, that your manager allowed for you being the oh. caregiver. There are other situations where you as a caregiver, you just have to run away. Would it be for your child? Nobody would say anything. They all understand. But for your parent, people don't understand. Like, are you going again to the hospital? You're going, leaving us again? And coworkers, there are coworkers that oh, can't handle that. Oh, they're brutal. Oh, they're brutal because they're such- I didn't want to say it. <laughs> oh, I'll say it. So yeah. Adam Grant wrote this beautiful book called Give and Take. And here's the synopsis. You don't even have to read the book. It comes down to this. People are one of three types of people. This is true a large, huge, 90 hunkin' percent of people are what are called scorekeepers. Are, you know, they're wanting to like, you do this and I do that. Like they want to keep track of everything. And then there's givers and then there's takers, right? And I have to tell you what, the majority of people want everything to be equal. So yeah. there's no equity. It's just equality. They just want, they don't, they don't want to hear about the equity part of it, right? Because in their eyes, they're like, this is what I'm supposed to do for these 40 hours a week. And this is what you're supposed to do for 40 hours a week. Never mind that I was coming in at 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning and working an hour and a half before we started at 8 o'clock because that didn't get seen, you know, but that I always left in the eyes of if my manager was okay with what I was doing, which he was, then I didn't really worry too much about all the, the pettiness of the coworkers. And you're 100% right. There's a lot of them out there that are, and don't you know yeah and i heard of a really great sorry i heard a really great yeah. story from one of the women who works in a um, really large company and they started 20 years ago an employee resource group it's an erg and i'm not familiar with it but um she says so we actually twice a month or something they come together and um they also do larger events but they have a caregiver support group. And it's like, yay, right? She said, it's just unbelievable. Just a fact, they can have speakers coming in, etc. Even like lunch and learns um, in companies, right? Exactly. It's, but things start to be recognized. Mm -hmm. um, but I sometimes think like, well, maybe when the CEO of a large company's mom is actually hit with this and he's going like, uh, what's happening then that will trickle down faster and uh, because it, it, there's so many layers to go through before people start changing policies and you cannot make one policy um that works and you're right it's, it's almost when it happens to the executive level of people that all of a sudden it hits reality i know i heard cheryl sandberg one time from facebook say that she couldn't believe how far away the women were walking who were pregnant until she was pregnant and was having to haul it from all the way out. And I've actually been to the Facebook campus. It's impressively large. And she was like, they had to move 
you know, the parking spaces up at that because it became from an executive down, right? So yeah. m- more often than, than not, what we see is when it happens at the executive yeah. level, then it all of a sudden becomes a very pressing issue. So that, you know, I, I kind of wonder, I know that with you being in, in Canada, do you think that we're caring more about our older generation? Do you see differences between maybe what you're doing in Canada or what we're doing or maybe not doing in the U.S. <laughs> and taking care of our, our older no. We're most people, and my mentor always says everybody. Uh, some have already passed with that, but uh, most people will be a caregiver, and there's no difference. And if it's men or women, it's no difference. We uh, were laughing with um, the male perspective panel with the four guys that were on the panel in the in last weekend. Uh, they say like, ah, "Oh yeah, we're a man, but you know what? We're the caregiver." And ultimately, the, the conversation got fired, uh, uh, got, they got a fire, and we lit a fire under it. And um, it was very interesting, but no, you're a caregiver. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. And, um, you know, uh, Cheryl, caregiving is also not location-based. It is an emotional experience. So, for instance, my mom lives in the Netherlands. My sister lives very close by. I've been in denial for a long time that I uh, actually at this point, even though my mom's very healthy, lives on her own, nothing wrong with her. I am actually the caregiver. Yes. And even though when my dad passed away in the year that I um, moved to Canada in 2005, he passed away two, two weeks unexpectedly before I left. He stopped like he did it even faster. He stopped eating. They call that drying out, I found out. Yeah. I yeah. didn't know that was a term until yeah. when my mother was eating and drinking. She was literally drying out. Yes, that works that way, right? And uh, it's very peaceful. It's a very peaceful way to pass away. It's that it's something that's um men they say they call there's a wet death and a dry death. And they told and I learned all of this in hospice, and the hospice nurse said, You always want a dry death. And that is just our natural way of drying ourselves. And we just go to sleep one night and we just don't wake up. And I had, you know, it makes sense. She said, she said, wet deaths are very painful. Your heart's involved in trying to move fluid and your kidneys are working hard and your liver's under stress. And she said, whereas when you're dry death, she says, you just become more tired, more tired, more tired. And then you just ultimately go to sleep. It starts to shut down, right? Yeah. And she said, it's actually a very peaceful way to pass away. She goes, I know it doesn't look good on the outside to you because you're wanting her. And that's what I was wanting. Yeah. Yeah. And I was wanting her like trying to give her insurance. And I was trying to give her all of these things. And she's, and then pass this nurse just said, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're so, in the hours. Yeah. You know, just be prepared. So, so I think what is the most important message for today is identify, be willing and allow yourself to identify yourself as a caregiver. How do you do that? The moment you work more than two hours or three hours a week with your elderly relative, doctor's appointment, grocery shopping, picking up meds. If that's past the two or three hours, yes, you're a caregiver. And soon, I don't want to scare all our, our audience, but soon. It it's going to be more. More and more and more. Yeah. And you already mentioned And you're that. in denial. And, you're, yeah. and you're 100% in denial if you think it's not. And I can yeah. say that because it did, you were, I needed you in my life 15 years ago because. Yeah. That's exactly how it started off. It was, can you, can you just pick her up and drive her to the doctor? I'm like, yeah. Can you pick her up, pick up her meds? Yeah. And there's so many resources available. And this is one thing I'm actually doing in, in, uh, on the island here, uh, a two-part caregiver series, um, and that's a, an in-person workshop. But here's one thing with regards to financials. Um, the woman who connected with me right after I uh, came to the island and became a part of the Senior Services Network she is a tax navigator and she works with family caregivers who come in with their mom and say like, listen, how am I going to do this? Because um, my mom, maybe long-term care, maybe I don't know what to do. And as a, um, a registered accountant, she became very specialized in knowing everything about tax savings and you can file till 10 years back here in Canada. I don't know what it all means because I'm not into that world. Yeah. Uh, all the grants that are available, 
all the benefit programs that are available, people have no clue. And she's the only one on oh, the island. I agree. And that's the women that, that are in so, my group. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, you can really start specializing in that um, part of career. So yeah. when families go to look for a caregiver, yeah. I know that you and I have had this discussion before. What are some of the hard stop minimums? Because I think that people interview well and then they get in there. And I, you know, of course my mind's going straight to elder abuse because we, in the United States, we talk about it very openly on the television and on radio and of course on social media. But um, what are some of the hard stop minimums individuals can look for in a caregiver and, um, and what should be continuing education requirements? Because I think it's something that nobody ever mentions and should be. Thank you. That's a great question. So here's my thing. If you want to feel trusted with the person that comes into your house, I can build trust within five minutes. How do I do that? Because I'm being me. I'm very well educated and I have done a lot of personal development. I just not come with my paper. Okay, I'm the home care worker, right? I have always naturally have a, most of the times have a smile with me. I have a very calm attitude over me. So I come in and I introduce myself and look at the person who comes in. Um, are they well groomed and dressed? Do they speak properly? Can you understand them from the first moment? Um, do they have the ability to listen? Just ask one question and listen, right? Um, I would usually interrupt family caregivers when I would go for, to a house for the first time. And um, I would come in and was sent by an agency years and years ago. And I come in, the guys, I'm just pulling my boots off. It's a snowy day. And the guy says, do you want water or juice when you leave? I'm like, I don't care about that. I care about your mom. I didn't say that. I thought that. So but I said, oh, we've never met. Uh, you know, let me take my boots off and shake hands. And this is who I am. And I'm here to see. No, do you want water? Oh, thank you. Give me water. Can I please go to your mom? So the guy tries to get me into the bathroom to share, share where everything is. I said, please, can you just stop? I'm here for your mom. Let me just connect with your mom because she hears a strange voice. Well, my mom has Alzheimer's. She won't understand you. I said, that is totally fine. Can you please leave the room? Thank you. And I just say to the person who is in the bed, I have a gentle touch. So I put my hand on your hand, and I'd like you to feel who I am. My name is Saskia. Be calm. Make sure people are calm. Make sure that they understand what you require for your mom. Um, have them ask a question, and then listen to you, and make notes. I don't understand how people can provide care for the first time and learn from a family when you don't make one darn note. <laughs> I like, honestly, sit down and get your information. Make sure you get introduced, and then take the time to connect with that person that you're going to care for. Be calm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's very important. And just feel how that person is interested to learn or share a little bit. And it's not about, oh yeah, I know your mom has this and I've had 20 clients that had this. No, your situation is your situation it has nothing to do with anybody else. So no <clears throat> other story than your mom's story is important. What about, and what are the bare minimum on the continuing education part? Because I have to admit, even like, so my daughter-in-law owns a daycare. And so she has things that she personally does herself, where she goes to classes and sits and listens. I mean, she's not even required 
but she's doing it actively, proactively on her own to keep herself fresh with things that are coming out. And then, of course, you know, there's other things like CPR and whatnot that she does for continuing education because she has to. But I was just curious what your thoughts were there. Okay, well, first I would like to say that certification and then, yes, of course, the CPR and some companies provide a three-hour dementia training or a false prevention training um, and then I'm going to scatter your dream completely the rest is not happening they often that's my experience in Canada mm -hmm. it's here too it, in the states it's like uh, and I've talked to one of the biggest companies who would love for me to start to get together uh, a training program they never had time they never had time the nurses had no time to listen to me when we were asked to have a meeting with me to set something up for the community um, <coughs> before we even would start um, teaching the um, home care workers um, interpersonal skills, very important. The, the background of the people is um, <coughs> important. I've, I've done the whole works of personal development. I keep continuing. But if they're stressed out and they work because of the defect, they have no other intention and a lot of people just work for the paycheck yeah those are not the biggest carers they're not the biggest carers um i think it's clear what i'm saying right yeah i do <laughs> and it's concerning it's really oh concerning. it's very concerning it's very it's, concerning I and think, the thing is they get stressed out burned out get injured that doesn't help any company it doesn't help all their customers agree right? so to me there's something not right but anyways, that's my personal opinion. Thank you for having me sharing that. <laughs> so I think that most people agree that caregiving in the home prolongs the life over a facility, right? But unfortunately, that's just I'm not, not... I don't want to necessarily agree with that. Well, and I appreciate you saying that because I'm also going to say that caregiving the home is not always an option for everyone. It's just not. And so that's... And I don't want to shame those people because you do... You get the ones who are like oh, caregiving the home has to be, and it's like, I can almost feel the shame that comes with, well, I'm still taking her to the home because they, they need to. So, and I, and I know that there's some, you know, really nice facility, trust me, I know because I paid for them. So if anyone's considering a facility, what's the advice there? If they have to go into an actual facility itself for their care, and what would you say is good advice? Have at least uh, a good care team that can help make that decision. Check out three to four facilities before you even consider placing uh, a loved one there. Also understand really, and that's where your healthcare professionals are important, understand really what the needs are of your relative because I've had like a couple, the, the husband was 96 and he was, um, had hearing problems and his wife started to get more and more dementia. And he said, oh, my son found this beautiful residence. And I said, that is not the residence where you should go, but we can be together and they're taking care of my wife. I said, they don't. They have a nice restaurant, they have a day program. They do not take care of your wife. Well, I thought, no, I said, that's not what you do. So you really have to know what are the requirements, what is the future what you can look at to for a year with regards to the aging process and the deteriorating process, and then have visits. And that's where you start the process. Um, there are women, and um, you probably, your audience probably would like to hear, so there are women who say, I gave up my career and I live with my 92-year-old um, mother now for the past two years. Yeah. yeah, she has Alzheimer's. But do you actually realize how that will impact, oh, by that time, you impact uh, how that impacts your life? But I, I want, especially women caregivers, to think about that beforehand. Because that is a part of their life that goes even beyond the 15 years that you looked after a new relative, right? It really does. Um, and you lose all your independence. And I personally think that if your mother is 92, 93 and Alzheimer's advances, you have to be there 24 seven. And if you're gonna do it all on your own, don't work yourself up to a stroke because who's gonna care for your mom? Right? And who's gonna care for them? 
And yeah. I believe at that stage that um, best place to be it would probably be in a facility because it's about safety. The dignity may be sometimes an issue depending on the facility and the caregivers in the facility, but it's about safety, right? Yeah. And even in a facility, they still sometimes manage to just wander out the door, even if it's locked. It's the truth. It's the truth. So every person's situation, every family situation is really special and different. I agree. So I like, as I mentioned to you before, I like to end our interviews with fun questions. And (laughs) I know (laughs) that we're going to have... We're having a little fun here. People are going to get to know you a little bit better, too. And I'm going to ask you some random questions, and I have to answer the same question, too. So you are not alone. I do not hang you out to dry. That's what I say to caregivers. You are not alone. That's pretty much how you started. That's it. So the first question is, what is one thing that you've always wanted to do? (laughs) What's one thing I always wanted to do? Hmm. I actually don't know if I really have an answer to that question. So for me, I'll answer mine, then you can think. One thing, I'm putting this into the universe, okay? I want to go to Italy. It has been at the top of my bucket list my whole life, my whole life. And so I am giving myself till 2020 Mm -hmm. to get my butt to Italy. Mm There. I, you go, girl. I, let's manifest it. So that's Ciao. my one thing. <laughs> so what's one thing that you've always wanted to do? I don't really think about it. Sometimes it's like, I really should think about it. But what I want to do more of now, if I can answer that way, is okay. I want to dance way more. I just want to go wild way more. Oh, look at you. Yeah. I love that answer. <laughs> oh, you just turn on that music and like, like just go for it. And, and that's me. I, I cannot sit still. People laugh when I hear music or in the car, right? I That's what I do. And I I have lacked in that. So I need to do more. Oh, good. So the second question is, what is the lowest grade you have ever been given in a class and for what? Oh, <laughs> that's funny. I got, just got a memory. Uh-huh. Um, the lowest grade? Oh, yeah, math. <laughs> I had, a, I had to have a tutor to even come through it. And this guy was a very old professor. I remember <laughs> in a very old house. Math, math or science don't come up with that, those things. Ah, so you and I are kindred <laughs> spirits. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, it was me in 10th grade geometry, Mr. Grimes, if you're listening. Thank you for grading on a curve. Thank you. It's the only way I was able to stay in National Honor Society. <laughs> it's the truth. It's because he graded on a curve. I hated that class so much. The day that last day, and I'll tell you what was so funny is we had like some really smart people in the class. So they're really dumb dumbs like me. They'd start to answer. And we'd be like, shh, shh, shh. we're on a curve. Keep going, Mr. Grimes. <laughs> we had to like shut them down. Like you're already, you're like a guaranteed A. Just don't ask any more questions. You know, <laughs> well, at least you, know. you can laugh about it now. Oh, I can now because it's yeah. like, yeah, so funny. And how about this one? If you won a million dollars, what would you do with it or buy? I would buy a log home and plant it in the forest, I'm probably on a mountain, and have a lake um, visible or close to walk to. I will have a sunken living room, which is not wise if you get older. <laughs> anyway, so we'll figure it out. We'll make it. Oh no, I was going to be with a ram, and I do not really entertain a lot, but I will have a big kitchen, uh, and I have a wild yard, not too landscape. Look at and, you! Uh, I you have somebody before. who cuts all the wood for me, and I can still make fires. And uh, yeah, I probably have everything on one level, just because it's great. That's what I would love. And a million dollars won't be enough because I don't want a really big house. So I always, I always jokingly say, I want to pay off my divorce debt. 
but I can say that with tongue in cheek because it probably will take that long. No, it won't. Um, no, seriously though, I would take some of the money and I would donate money to kids in foster care because I have a couple of kids of mine that came from that space and um, they just Beautiful. need some good old fashioned loving. So I just, there's a lot of good kids out there. They just need some wonderful people to love on them and find them. So yep. how do our listeners get in touch with you? What's like the best way to find you and your resources? That's not too complicated. And I really recommend you to do that. <laughs> it's um, creatingbeingwell.com. Creatingbeingwell.com. That's my website. You can connect with me through it. You'll find resources on it. There's blogs on it. Um, you can email me, Saskia, S-A-S-K-I-A, at creatingbeingwell.com. And please take me up on just an informative call we can do for 20 minutes. Because if you're a caregiver, just take this on and figure out if I can support in some way. That could be short term, that could be longer term, but I'm here to support you and I meet you where you are. And you also do speaking, so you're also available for speaking engagements as well. Oh, I love doing speaking. Yes, you can definitely book me for speaking, and that could be in the U.S. as well as in, uh, in Canada. Um, yes, I'm happy to. Wonderful. This has been not only a really profound interview for those listening, but selfishly for me too. It's a topic that's something that pretty much rocked my foundation a while back, and I do not want my children to have to take care of me in a way that would make them feel uncomfortable or would not meet me where I am or what I want. So open discussions around proper planning, I feel, are just so vitally important. So I thank you for being here today, Saskia, really. It's been great. Thank you for having me, uh, Cheryl. And you touch on a really good point in the final note. Thank you. So thank you for listening to today's episode of The F Word. You can learn more about today's guest and the topics we covered in our show notes too. And if you love today's podcast, which I know you did, please be sure to subscribe and don't keep us a secret. Share it and tag hashtag females and finance in your post so that we can engage with you as well. Remember the F Word. It's where females and finance are not dirty words. Thank you for 